All right, everybody, it's extra bonus audio time of the week, and this week we are talking Masters of the Universe. We just got done discussing the live-action movie we had with Dolph Lundgren and Frank Langella, and we figure for the bonus content, we're going to tackle the cartoon series a little bit and bring about the toy line that came out. Now, Travis can't be with us for this bonus audio. He's actually on the road right now. So, Travis, if you get to hear this, too bad you can't join us, man. It's going to be a blast. Wish you were here. This is definitely your subject (laughs) to talk about. Um, Travis has quite a few, well, several He-Man things to this day. I believe he's got Castle Grayskull and Snake Mountain still. So, And I'm sure if he dug into his box of goodies in his uh, garage, he'd probably pull quite a few figures out. But um, I can remember back, you know, when I was eight, nine years old, Getting on the school bus and coming home every day to watch Masters of the Universe, the cartoon series. Uh, It was one of my favorite ones that was out. And, of course, there's things then I didn't understand and know as a kid, you know, that I know now as of today as the origin of Masters of the Universe. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today to try and get that out there as well. Uh, Mattel is who made the toy line and they began development of he-man and the masters of the universe in the late 70s with a conan the barbarian inspired concept you might say uh you had some designers roger sweet mark taylor donald glutt and several other contributors uh in this process it began around 1976 basically when mattel's ceo ray wagner declined the request to produce a toy line of action figures based on the characters from the george lucas film star wars I, I'm guessing he didn't think the toy line would do well. I, I don't know. Uh, but who knew at the time that Star Wars would be the success that it turned out to be, right? So uh, by not doing that, he lost that big. So they, from that point forward, they tried their best to come up with a toy line to match the success that Kenner had with the Star Wars. And needless to say, they didn't do too well with it. However, um, they did eventually get with some people and get some designs out there to produce a new toy line. And uh, Roger Sweet presented the He-Man concept to Ray Wagner at the Mattel product conference in the form of three large 3D plaster prototype models, which Sweet dubbed the He-Man Trio. Uh, these prototypes were molded from extensively modified Big Jim action figures. The Battle Cat would also be adapted from a Tiger in the Big Jim toy line. The He-Man Trio models were an axe-wielding barbarian, a tank-headed soldier, I'm having trouble picturing that one, and a spaceman with a Boba Fett-like helmet. Out of the three concepts, the barbarian version of He-Man was chosen to be the basis of the toy line. Um, This original trio prototype idea was released around 30 years later as the figure Vicron and the barbarian concept on its own as Vicor in the Masters of the Universe Classics line. Now, originally set under the working title, Lords of Power... The name Masters of the Universe came into being when it was suggested that the former name of the toy line was too religious in nature. The roster of characters would soon expand past the main hero, He-Man, 
and Mark Taylor would draw inspiration for the series' main villain Skeletor from his 1971 sketch entitled The King of Sticks, along with early renderings of his characters uh, Demo Man and D-Man. I never heard of that. That is new to me today. <laughs> but uh, we learn something new all the time, right? Uh, Taylor would create preliminary designs for several other original characters as well. With additional ideas or direction from Mark Ellis and Paul Cleveland, among others, but the premise behind the toy line had not yet been fully established. Uh, the backstory of He-Man was first conceptualized for special mini-comic books that Mattel marketing director Mark Ellis promised distributors would accompany the toys. Mattel had DC Comics mock up a comic book with the earliest storybooks written by Donald F. Glutt, with major distributor Toys R Us's main concern that five-year-olds don't read. Oh, that's a very good point, because I don't know many five-year-olds today, nor remember many five-year-olds in my time, myself included, that was sitting down reading comics word for word. You know, we might have been strumming through the pages and looking at the pictures and the, you know, the artwork and everything that we that, that we liked, but we weren't reading in-depth stories in these comics by any means. So it was a very good point. Um, Mark Ellis then first proposed the idea of an animated TV special, and this would eventually lead to a meeting with Filmation head Lou, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but I'm going to try it, uh, Lou Scheimer, uh, S-C-H-E-I-M-E-R, that's how you spell the last name, and the creation of the He-Man and Masters of the Universe animated series. Earlier in 1980, the rights holders of Conan the Barbarian had been negotiating the character's toy rights with Mattel. And they entered into an agreement the following year regarding characters from the 1982 Conan movie. However, with Mattel introducing the Masters of the Universe toy line in 1982, the rights holders sued Mattel claiming the character was an infringement on the character of Conan. I find that kind of silly, to be honest with you. Um, first off, He-Man doesn't look anything like Conan. Yes, they're barbarian-type figures by the way they appear. But, I mean, two completely different looks. Uh, Mattel eventually won the lawsuit, and after legal agreements were dissolved, it was stated that the toy line was never intended for the Conan film. However, some Conan influence can be seen as Roger Sweet has claimed to have drawn some inspiration from the paintings of Frank Frazetta, a fantasy artist with many works depicting Conan the Barbarian when he created He-Man. Still, I don't notice any real resemblances between Conan the Barbarian and He-Man. If I was going to take any Barbarian from cartoons in the past or anything like that and compare them to He-Man, I would probably say Thundar the Barbarian because he was also... Um, blonde hair um, had a different type of you know barbarian type outfit on but had a power sword of his own they called the sun sword so there are some similarities between he-man and thundar in my opinion um so i watched both cartoons growing up and i loved them both so i i still don't think it's you know that big of a deal as far as what you're doing, there were several variations of cartoons during that time frame with uh, barbarian type figures uh, with storylines where they had power swords to work with. So, 
Now, the Masters of the Universe toy line was created by Mattel in 81. The first released to the stores in 1982 as five and a half inch tall action figures. Uh, this as opposed to the three and three quarter inch size used by Kenner's Star Wars and Hasbro's G.I. Joe or Real American Hero toy lines. Uh, the G.I. Joe I had a ton of. I, I loved G.I. Joe toys when I was younger. And I had some of the Masters of the Universe uh, figures and things of that nature. I didn't get too involved with their toy lines. I never got any of the vehicles or anything like that. And I was really big into you know G.I. Joe, but there was something about the He-Man figures that was, you know, fairly neat to a kid that age. And I had, you know, several of those, um, the two main characters, He-Man, which was listed as the most powerful man in the universe and his, uh, arch enemy Skeletor, the evil Lord of destruction were first released in action figure form, along with other core characters of the series, man at arms, uh, the heroic master of weapons, Beastman, Skeletor's Savage Henchman, and Battlecat, He-Man's Fighting Tiger, which he also uh, rode into battle. Later on that year, the first wave of action figures in 1982 would also include Tila, the heroic warrior goddess, Merman, the evil ocean warlord, and Stratos, the heroic winged warrior, along with the cosmic enforcer Zodak, who kind of you know, overseeing things, but didn't really take sides, you might say. Um, and I, I recall having several of these, these action figures, honestly, as a kid. I mean, Zodak, for sure, I had. I had a, a version of two of He-Man. Um, I never had the Tila character. Um, I don't believe I had Merman, either. I could be wrong. Um, there were several other characters that came out after the fact that I had as well. Uh, other than you, know, of course, He-Man and Skeletor, uh, and they had their their battle armor versions where you would hit them, and the armor would spin to the next level where it had a dent in it. It looked like, and you could wind it back up to where it was complete again. Uh, several different things. Now, I never had the big playsets like Castle Grayskull or Snake Mountain. Never bought into that because, like I said, I was big in GI Joe, so I didn't really you know get so far into really wanting those things. Just the figures. Um, don't recall having Stratos either, honestly. But in that first wave of toys in 81, I'm just going to – I just told you a few. I'm, I'm going to relist them again. But I'm going to relist – I'm going to tell you all the action figures in wave one that came out in 1981. So the wave one list of action figures was quite a bit out there. There was eight figures in He-Man, Man-at-Arms, Stratos, Tila, Beast-Man, Merman, Skeletor, and Zodak. They also included creatures such as Battle Cat and Screech and vehicles of the Battle Ram and the Wind Raider. Play sets included Castle Grace Gold. And that was your first wave of toys that they had. That's 1981. Each character that came out had a mini comic with it, just as they promised, where it would tell some storylines. Um, you know, for the characters, the way they want, well, I, I guess for the original toy characters, the way it released, it was different in the actual cartoon. Uh, is the reason why I bring this up. Uh, the cartoon was completely different. It wasn't just He-Man, Skeletor, Man-at-Arms, Tila. He-Man was actually in the cartoon, um, 
like an alter ego of Prince Adam, who was son of King Randor and Queen Marlena. Uh, he had a sword that was given to him by the sorceress of Castle Grayskull, and when he would hold it up, um, he would basically say the uh, key words. By the power of Grayskull! And that would give him basically a transformation into He-Man, in which case he would turn around, point his sword at his uh, companion, Cringer, who was a uh, green Bengal-looking tiger with yellow stripes, and he would then transform into Battle Cat. Uh, the toy line didn't really depict it that way to start out with, I don't believe. It was just He-Man and Battle Cat, and then you had Man-at-Arms, and they fought the you know the forces of evil, such as Skeletor and Beast-Man, Merman, and so on. Um, I kind of like the cartoon version better, story-wise, than I did what the comics would have brought along with each character. But, I mean, they you know, both ways were kind of good. Um, originally, you had four mini-comics, He-Man and the Power Sword, the King of Castle Grayskull, Battle in the Clouds, and the Vengeance of Skeletor. They were made by Mattel in 81 and written by Donald Glutt with artwork by Alfredo Alcala. He-Man's introduced in the first mini-comic, of course, He-Man and the Power Sword, and he's listed as a wandering barbarian, leaving behind his jungle tribe on Eternia. The world of Eternia is initially depicted as dealing with the aftermath of a great war that has devastated a once powerful civilizations, leaving behind their fantastical machinery and weapons. The events of the war have also opened a rift between dimensions, which has allowed the evil warlord Skeletor to travel to Eternia. This inaugural incarnation of Skeletor sets his sights on obtaining both halves of the power sword, which were originally split in two in early stories, in order to gain entry into the ancient castle Grayskull, depicted in the early comics as being inhabited by the ghostly spirit of Castle Grayskull. The main premise being that whoever attains control of Castle Grayskull will gain the power to become master of the universe. To combat Skeletor, He-Man's given special powers, armor, and weapons with a sorceress, uh, who is kind of, I think it was green skin in her debut appearance, and wearing a snake-like armor, uh, which you've seen come on the original Tila action figure, instead of her usual bird-like attire. Because in the cartoon, uh, she would turn into a falcon and you know, fly wherever she wanted to go to, basically. Um, second wave of action figures and mini comics came out in 1983. And of those second wave of figures, we were looking at Manny faces or man dash E dash faces. Also, you know, uh, many faces, uh, Ram man, evil Lynn faker trap jaw and triclops. Creatures are Zoar and Panther, or Panthor, I should say, which is uh, Skeletor's answer to Battle Cat, and the vehicles of Attack Track and Point Dread and the Talon Fighter, or Point Dread and Talon Fighter, I should say, two separate things there. Um, what I mentioned earlier, uh, Ram Man. Um, they list him as a heroic human battering ram with spring-loaded legs. Basically, you could kind of push him down, 
and hit a button, his body would spring forward like he's a battering ram, knocking things over. In the cartoons, he would jump around like that and burst his way through crowds of bad guys and stuff or burst through a door, wherever the case may be. Uh, Manny Faces was a heroic human robot slash monster with three alternate faces. And Zoar, the fighting falcon, whose uh, sculpt was taken from the Big Jim toy line, Eagles of Danger Peak, along with Skeletor's evil warriors, Triclops, who is described on his packaging as evil and sees everything. He is a three-eyed rotating visor that gives him different sights. Uh, Trapjaw, evil and armed for combat with alternate weapons to place on his arm socket. He can take whatever he's got on his arm, take it off, replace it with a different weapon of some sort. Or just a arm with a hook on it, like for a hand, if that's what he wants to do, basically. Um, Panthor, with like I said, Skeletor, Savage Cat, which is the his version of Battle Cat. Uh, Screech, Skeletor's barbarian bird, a kind of a purple in color recast of the orange Zoar, which was uh, for the sorceress, I believe. We got Faker, which I should mention earlier, which is an evil robot of Skeletor, a blue-skinned clone of He-Man, seldom featured in Masters of the Universe media without an introductory mini-comic during his initial release, so he got no comic when his. Uh, evil Lynn, the evil warrior goddess, the last figure released in the wave, and she would not yet be featured in any uh, Masters of the Universe media until her prominent role in the Filmation animated series. The Attack Track Vehicle and the Point Dread and Talon Fighter playsets were also released in the 1983 lineup. And um, the Attack Track is one thing I remember the most um, as far as how it worked, I believe. I believe that was the thing where they had someone sitting in something in the cockpit of it, basically, and it would whip around. The tail would whip around to the front, and the cockpit would be in the back and then slide back forward again with the leg now in the back or tail whipping back around again and moving that way. I think that's how it went. And I see this is where I need Travis at now. He could correct me on that if I'm wrong for sure. I know he'd remember. But that seems like what the attract, uh, attack track was to me. Uh, the second series, consisting of seven new mini-comics, were released in 82 and 83. Produced by DC Comics, written by Gary Cohn, and featured artwork by Mark Teixeira. The mini-comics would devote several issues towards introducing the new action figure characters in the line. Uh, Cohn did not continue the same canon as was set in the first four mini-comics. He-Man's new ally, Ram-Man, is initially tricked into fighting on the side of Skeletor. Many Faces is introduced as the ordeal of um, Many Faces as an Eternian actor turned into a monster by Skeletor, freed by the sorceress, only to be magically possessed by three multiple personalities, man, monster, and robot. As I mentioned before, we have uh, Trapjaw and Triclops and other things. Uh, the pre-filmation stories, the primary characters of Prince Adam, Cringer, Orko, and Evil End did not yet feature in the series, although the attorney in Palace and Royal Court with King Randor and Queen Marlena, who were both yet unnamed, looked decidedly older than the later series, uh, are featured in several of these DC mini-comics. I... Once again, I, I much preferred the Filmation cartoon. I thought it was much more fun to follow than any of the mini comics that come along with the characters. Um, I just didn't want that kind of uh, you know comic at the time. 
and once again for comics, G.I. Joe. I was buying G.I. Joe comics to go with G.I. Joe toys and G.I. Joe uh, vehicles and play sets. It's, that was more, more my thing. And I think I had issues 1 through 38 when it came to G.I. Joe comics, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Mattel, though, really cashed in for a while on this whole He-Man deal. In Wave 3, 1984, I said in Wave 3. In 1984, you have Wave 3 of the toys come through. And in the heroic side of the Warriors, the He-Man side, you have Battle Armor He-Man, which is what I mentioned earlier. You could um, hit the armor with the you know whoever the opposing character was you were using, and it would it would uh, dial up and show a dent and hit it again. It would show two dents, and then you could roll it back up to where it looks like it's brand new again. Buzz Off, which is a character that I did have as an action figure, looks like a um, individual that's Dressed more or less like a bee, really. It's got he got wings. He can fly. Um, Fisto, who had this iron glove of some sort, that was very powerful. He could uh, destroy things with that glove. Um, Mechanic, whose neck would extend high up, and he could see, you know, down further places with, with his height advantage. With that, Orko, which was the magician, uh, also friends to Prince Adam, who is the last character in 84 that was released um also one of a few people who know the secret that prince adam has turning into he-man along with bandit arms and the sorceress the evil warriors that were released that year battle armor skeletor clawful jitsu which was kind of your opposition to fisto you should you could say uh cobra Khan, a snake-like man Ted clawful was another one of the uh, like merman type characters, you know, people from the sea or something like a big, basically a big lobster looking thing to me. Um, web store, um, having trouble remembering web store to be honest with you. And whiplash was a lizard like type guy who would whip his tail around and trip people up and such. The vehicles were the dragon walker, the road ripper stridor and Rotan and the playset was Snake Mountain, and then it lists accessories such as weapons packs. You could buy weapons packs for all the individual ones there. Um, I don't want to go too much further in this. There were several other waves that were released, other characters um, Thunder Punch E Man, Moss Man, Roboto, Cyclone, uh, Evil Warriors, Stinkor, Too Bad, which is a double headed guy, Spike Or, Dragon Blaster, Skeletor. Um, and they initially go further down wave five in 1986, wave six in 87. You can look these up and see all these different things that they released as far as uh, the different toy lines and such and how, how they go in 87, the toy line was released. I'm going to touch on that one for just a second after I skipped, I skipped the other two, but these figures were more or less based on the movie that came out because you have the character for Gwildor, um, the characters for the evil warriors, blade and, um, Saurad, And we already had like, uh, Oh, uh, beast man, which was from the movie as well. But, uh, you know, there were some more interesting things that they had during the toy line and the wave in 87 just had two figures, which was laser power, he man and laser light Skeletor. Don't remember them whatsoever at all. 
but this is after the movie came out and the cartoon hadn't been playing anymore. So they got to be going off of something else on that. Maybe it's just for, you know, just for the, the, the sake of releasing new figures because the figures, as I said earlier, the figures were released first, not the cartoon. Whereas you might usually think a cartoon is there first then for the figures just didn't work that way this time. Uh, you know, that being said, I, there's been several adaptations to He-Man over the years after the uh, live-action film. Netflix has done um, a variation here recently. You can look up on Netflix itself and check that out. Um, not going to go big into that because that's not our time frame or anything. But He-Man has lasted strong over the years. Uh, people my age and a little younger still love it, still buy the collectible figures and, and to just to have to this day. And um, one day soon, we hope to have a better live-action movie than what we got uh, in 87 with Dolph Lundgren and Frank Langella. I know they did the best they could do at the time with what they had, but we really want something more closer to the filmation cartoon that we all grew to love. So uh, that's going to be all for the bonus audio this week. As I said, you know, it's just one to cover some of the cartoon a little bit and mostly the toy line that it put out and how the origin of He-Man started. I uh, hope you guys found some of this interesting. If you're definitely He-Man fans and didn't know this, um, you know, check out some things online. You can find a, a good story on Wikipedia about He-Man and uh, its origins and everything. And there's quite a few pages online that talk about the toy lines and in what order they were released and things of that nature. And not only did He-Man, you know, spawn off several adaptations and variations of it, it also spawned off She-Ra, which is supposed to be Prince Adam's um, you know, twin sister that was lost at birth or stolen at birth, who also later on gets a power sword of her own to become She-Ra. Um, her name is Princess Adora. Another story for another day, people, right? Anyway, we thank you for listening. Be sure to check us out on our website at www.retrolife, the number four, the letter U.com. On there, you can listen to the podcast every week as well as these bonus audios. And you can also choose to uh, sign up for the monthly deal or get some to your uh, mailbox to let you know so you don't miss an episode again. Very helpful, handy thing to have. Uh, we are on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, Instagram and Facebook mostly. I try to do a little TikTok here and there, but you're going to find us mostly in other places at Retro Life number four, Y-O-U. Be sure to look us up there and follow us and uh, let us know, you know, if you are a He-Man fan as well, or like myself, you love the G.I. Joes or something. Hey, whatever your toy line was at the time, I'm sure we all had some of it and loved them just as much. Tell us what you thought about this toy line masters of the universe and compared to what you had as a kid growing up in the meantime we'll catch you guys on the next upcoming episode have a great day